so tall, you create big beautiful doll. Rasmatasm, rooty tooty. Ya cha cha da cha 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 da cha. Cha cha da da cha. Bring it up big and loud there. The good thing about these uh, plastic knees is that uh, they do come in seven decorator shades, and they're washable. My mother's knee was not exactly washable, or at least uh, like plastic. You know, speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, the whole world of plastics and the new, well, the neorealism that's beginning to emerge in the toy world, uh, I was just uh, forcibly made aware that uh, one of the big new uh, developments in the toy industry is dolls for boys. Do you know that? And uh, interestingly enough, they don't buy girl dolls. Uh, you can buy a doll, a little boy doll. I guess it's a boy anyway. You can buy uh, a little <laughs> doll for a kid. That, uh, little, he can buy a little doll. This kid, this little doll, it's hard to describe it. It's, it's not really a doll. It's not a baby. It's sort of a, an elf. It's more like a... Peter Pansville, you know, and this little doll has tight pants and a fluffy sweater, and it's called Chucky. And, um, you know, I, I could, yeah, this is nothing. Did you, did you get that ad? Somebody, there was a great ad in one of the papers the other day, and it says, uh, Sports Heroes. A uh, little doll, it says, uh, Universal Sport Hero available for American market for first time. Uh, Universal Sport Hero comes complete with many types uniform, come football, uh, baseball uniform, and also soccer, of uh, many types of sport available. Universal Hero comes, yeah, named Johnny Hero, American all-time all-boy hero made in Hong Kong. Kind of like that. And you take a look at this guy, and, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a all part of that great new, wonderful, uh, neo-realistic. You know, speaking of the neo-realistic world, uh, I've always felt that you, Look at a television show, or, or you watch a movie or something, or a play. You don't really see the stuff, the, the real jazzy stuff that comes out of life. I remember one comment one time, Alfred Hitchcock, once looking out of the TV camera there, and he says, "Well, he says, I hope you like, I hope you liked our play tonight." Um, <laughs> he says, "I hope you liked it. I hope you did not find it too uh, gaudy and gruesome." However, if uh, you ought to taste for gore and gruel and uh, blood uh, goes beyond mine, I'd suggest you consult your local newspaper. Uh, either that or look into your own thoughts. Well, now, he's quite right. Uh, as a matter of fact, his little story just came out of Jersey. Now, all of us know Jersey is a friendly little old suburban state out there filled with all kinds of friendly little old suburbanites running around there in the Garden State. And uh, it would never occur to a TV writer or a guy who's writing a, a play. Have you noticed how many kids are in Broadway plays and they, they never are like kids? Ever. Uh, uh, almost every Broadway kid is exceedingly precocious. And he says wise sayings. Uh, this is part of the Broadway... Uh, what, what is it? What is it? There's a great word. Uh, Hazarai. Uh, no, that's not quite it. Uh, uh, I don't know. Kitsch. Uh, 
sort of... Uh, everybody likes to believe, I suppose, that goes to Broadway plays that they've got a kid. Either that or they were a kid like that. I suspect that might be it, too. And so there are thousands of kids who go around and say fantastic things. Great pieces of wisdom come dripping out of them. And uh, others, there was a play a couple of seasons ago that had a kid that was so outrageously ridiculous. Not only outrageously ridiculous, but so repulsive as to go beyond anything that I have seen in most of the horror pictures that, uh, that pretend to horror. Uh, one of the few things that I think uh, is genuinely horrible is a grossly misrepresented human being, a total, a, a monster. In other words, a psychological and philosophical monster. That's, that's a little kid that keeps running around and telling his old man that he shouldn't uh, uh, have anything to do with this kind of woman because this kind of woman does this and that. And uh, the old man says, yeah, that's true. I never thought of it that way. Uh, and, and so you see these plays all the time. Well, there's a little story came out of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Will you please give me a little uh, a tiger rag mood music, a little just a little tiger rag type music there? I think will do it. I think it'll hold it. Uh, just bring it up there. That's it. Very good. That's just a little slice of life from these Americas. Rasputin's Rudy Tooth. Da da da. Rasputin's da 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 di. And now the good thinking department of this radio station brings you another public service broadcast entitled Life in these United States. to enriching and bringing more and greater meaning to your life. An eight-year-old Elizabeth, New Jersey boy, described by a psychiatrist as a chain-smoking, quote, little old man, barely managed to peer above the courtroom bench yesterday to defend himself on two theft charges. He was accused of using a 13-year-old girlfriend to help him break into a home and steal $55 in rare coins. Another time, he walked, with, walked off with a woman's baby carriage to sell for junk. The boy denied cursing and spitting at the woman when she spotted him with the carriage. Questioned about his smoking habits, the boy, with hair streaming over his collar, said to juvenile court judge V. William de Buono, uh, I smoke Marlboro. I like that Marlboro country, alluding to the cigarette TV commercials. Psychiatrists said that during interviews there, the boy had offered them cigarettes. The boy admitted smoking at least a pack a day. He stole the coins from a home on East Jersey Street after a girl crawled through a bathroom window and opened the front door for him. He's a Marlboro man. He's eight years old. He says he's too young to be classified as a juvenile delinquent. So, uh... uh <laughs> I mean, you know, this this uh, uh, little old man. Well, you know, I've known several elderly uh, eight-year-olds in my time. Very few of them come out with wise sayings, though. They come out with other things. So will you please salute that once again with a little uh, sign there of uh, razzmatazz music. We salute this little eight-year-old Marlboro man who digs them TV commercials. Yes, sir, kid. As a matter of fact, you know, there is a theory afloat, kid, that uh, long ago, and uh, long ago by television standards, writers decided that no longer are they going to write dramas about people. 
because, you know, you can just write so much about people. And uh, they found also that the television commercials were far more exciting to people anyway, because the TV commercials made more sense to most people than the stuff that Kim Stanley did between the TV commercials. And so now most TV shows are written with TV commercials as their basic drive and as their basic model. You remember when old TV commercials when white knights used to gallop through houses and people flew around? Remember Barbara Harris flying into kitchens all the time? That lady that took off the magical stains with the wand and all that stuff? Well, now they're starring in their own shows. Most girls in TV shows today, as you know, have magical powers. They can turn themselves into lampshades and they can move their husbands around with a wave of the hand and they can fly through the air. Why, they old spin-offs, actually. They're spin-offs from the Ajax commercials. No longer does it, you know. <laughs> they're spin-offs from, uh, you know, Mr. Cream and the Marlboro World. As a matter of fact, I'm waiting for the first television show to come out and star the Marlboro Man. Actually star him, you see. And he'll ride that horse, that big white horse, gallop endlessly through Thunderbird country. That's where he will have his ranch. And his wife, well, he won't really have a wife. He'll have a, a girlfriend who's a lady plumber who wears a white suit and goes around and puts stuff in sinks. Says funny things and looks kind of cute and rolls her eyeballs. Yeah, it'll be kind of a spin-off of a spin-off of a spin-off. You ever had a feeling that your life itself was a spin-off from some old Harpo Marx cartoon or comedy or something? <laughs> Yeah, well, all right. Now, you think you think that that's a, that's a scene there, a little kid there, all squirt, smoking them cigarettes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I suspect that, uh, uh, that almost every one of us has had a brief moment in our lives when we found ourselves involved in something that we knew was totally illegal uh, for the time and the place. You know, there is a, there is a terrible uh, lure of illegality about the... No, but just this is the, there's no question about it. Evil has a fantastic draw. You know, any time you stand up before an audience, Bob, this might interest you, and I've done it many times. You stand up before an audience, and you say, "All right, there's two fantastic forces battling it out. See, there is good, and there is evil. On the one hand, good riding into the arena on that big white horse, wearing a great big white hat." Carrying that beautiful white lance, gallops in with the sound of Haydn playing, with the sound of great trumpets blowing. All right, and then on the other hand, evil comes in. Do you have that little tick 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 thing? Evil music for me there. On the other hand, evil comes in. Wow, evil comes in, galloping on that that yellow-eyed black horse, snorting, paw on the ground. His big, flashing, black, silky tail floating in the breeze. Its enormous, floating black mane. Its yellow eyes throwing out tiny red sparks of pure venom. And seated atop that hand-tooled silver saddle is the embodiment of pure human evil, dressed in total black, wearing a great black sombrero, armed with the evil silver knives and a great pistol, uh, wearing a black mask over his face, his eyes narrow to mere slits of pure, total decadence. Yes, his eyes flashing yellow flame, 
evil comes out to do battle with good. The crowd cheers. Yes, they're rolling because this is what they've been waiting for since the beginning of time. The final showdown. Good is fighting evil. Oh. And that's in that great grandstand, belly dancers are twirling and revolving in purple-green lights. That's the cheerleader for guess what side. Yes, her finger symbols rattling out the castanet song of the downhill flight of man towards the nether inner circles of Alitza. Over on the other side, tall, slender men wearing black suits stride back and forth, and out of their eyes shine the pure light of evangelical goodness. Yes, we can see Billy Graham leading one series of cheers. We see Father Sheen leading another one. And over here, we see Ben-Gurion leading his crowd. And they're all saying, good, good, good. And yet on the other side of the arena, on the other side of the arena... Just look down at the crowd and you laid this out there for him and you say, which side are you on? All right, all of you guys that are for good, let's hear you. Dead silence falls over the auditorium. Then you say, all right, which, which of you, who among you is for that, that rider wearing the black suit on the black horse, the rider who carries the panel marked, except, oh, evil, evil. And the crowd roars, a fantastic roar. Holy smokes. It happens every time. The devil has all the good lines. Uh, which reminds me. <laughs> this is W-O-R, A-M and F-M. <laughs> the uh, station with the evil smirking laugh. In New York. And the devil speaks with many voices. Would you care to hear one now? Hello, test. Hello, testing. Oh, here they come. I knew he was not far away. <laughs> Miller never lets us down. Distinctive Miller High Life in Pop and Pour Cans. Just pop and pour Miller Highlight, the champagne of bottled beer. No opener needed. Enjoy the light, full-flavored goodness of Miller Highlight, the premium beer millions more are asking for. Miller Highlight always gives you that perfect taste in beer every time. Sit in here with the boys. Unquestioned, unchanging. Enjoy Miller High Life in our easier-to-open pop-and-pour cans. Just pop-and-pour Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive in pop-and-pour cans. Yes, sir, the evil that lies just below the surface. The evil that lurks in the hearts of men. That reminds me... Uh, uh, let's see, we have happiness here tonight. Great restaurant up on Broadway. Uh, Broadway. 
talk about the street that's paved all the way down to hell. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> happiness between 93rd and 94th. It's a Chinese restaurant of exceedingly and passingly good food of various types, including Sichuan and Cantonese and, of course, uh, the Shanghai specialties, one thing or another. I can't even tell you on the air what they eat in Sichuan. It's awful, but uh, you can try it up there if you like. Everybody's got his hang-ups. They also have a bar, and uh, they're open seven days a week. So, you know, many people are very nervous when they get more than 20 feet away from the uh, the stuff. And uh, they, they're they there. They're seven days a week, and everything's under control. And I think you'll like this place. It's called Happiness. It's between 93rd and 94th on Broadway, and they're open real late, uh, like midnight and so on. That's for after the show. It's on Broadway, okay? All right. I got it. And we have, that announces end of commercial. We have also another commercial here uh, for the Rover Motor Corporation of Britain. And uh, they make a great automobile. One, and and uh, incidentally, uh, uh, in answer to a letter from somebody who wrote to me, who apparently thinks this is new because he's just hearing about it, uh, Rover is one of the oldest cars made in England. It's been around many, many years and is certainly one of the most respected marks that the English still build in the old English way. Uh, by the way, also, uh, the Rover Company has for a long time been one of the most advanced automotive corporations in the world. They have done some of the basic research into turbine engines, and they've also done some of the really great research into high-speed, safe travel. And I hope you know that currently there is a best-selling book about the inherent uh, lack of safety in most major uh, American cars today. So it's an unfortunate fact. I'm talking about inherent uh, design, inherent problem. And uh, the Rover Company has done great things. In fact, most automobile companies today are studying what Rover has done. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of the stuff that's that's in every production Rover today will be standard, perhaps even required by law, in most other cars five years from now. This is the Rover 2000. The Rover 2000. All right, let's get back to reality. You know, speaking of getting back to reality, I'm walking around you, and uh, you can find all kinds of uh, fascinating uh, little bits and pieces. Maybe, maybe I've got that kind of mind. You know, I wonder how many people who walk through life, generally, just, you know, walking through life, never really see... The peculiar, maybe, maybe it isn't even there. I never see the peculiar, uh, not really symbolism, but nuttinesses as you, as you, you just look around. You look at stuff on the, on the shelves of supermarkets and you look at ads. And one thing, you know, one of the saddest ads I saw the other day, a really wild ad. I'm sitting in a, in a little restaurant. I have to, I have to preface the story with, with, with a, with a scene that I saw. I'm sitting in a restaurant here. And it's one of these lady-type restaurants. Well, not really. You know, these polite restaurants. You know, what is it, a polite restaurant? There's the sort of Schraft's world, you know, the uh, uh, the Longchamp world. It's not a, you know, that kind of restaurant. And it's genteel, and that, that, that kind of thing. And I'm always feeding, every time I'm in, the, in that genteel atmosphere, I'm torn by two things. On the one hand, I, I'm torn by this fantastic desire to be genteel. To be one of those people, you know, sit there very quietly and drink your martini and look placid and calm so you're on top of the world. 
And uh, uh, the other side is, is, a, is a terrible, gnawing realization that you're really a phonus balonus. You shouldn't be there because you are not genteel. Some people are genteel, I suppose, by birth. You know, it's been said that some ladies are born wearing girdles. I'm sure that there are those. And there are some men that are born wearing long winter underwear. And they never take it off. All their lives, they're born with, with derbies right on their head. You know, they, at the age of nine, they're, gent, they're gentle, middle-aged gentlemen. And <laughs> I've known a few of those. But I never was, see? And so I, I get myself once in a while trapped in one of these joints. So i got to meet somebody. And they say, oh, why don't you have a in my hole? And the next thing I know, I'm in this place. And they've got this dark woodwork all around. And little Irish maids that run around wearing these little black suits with the you know the little black uniforms with the little white collars and the little white things on the head and they come around and sure and what would you like young man and they look down at me with a motherly look and I'm looking down at this little skinny they have little skinny menus and they sell like little skinny sandwiches that have little leaves in them and stuff like that little pieces of tuna salad and things all ground up and so you look down I, I look and I says where's the drinky menu e and um talk like they do and so she brings me the little menu drinkies and it's a little skinny one it has little things like a flower bell special and I said what is this give me one of those big ones and so she brings me this martini and I said there comes a little skinny glass little skinny martini it's funny when you get a martini in one of those places it's no cow and everything it's like it's like when you like the ice cream and like the tuna now you can't imagine any of the tuna in those places actually having scales and innards a real tuna, you know, with big mouth and teeth and all that. Have you ever seen a big tuna? Well, you don't, you don't think about that when you see the tuna salad in those places. Tuna salad exists as a separate entity. It comes out of the air conditioning unit or something. It doesn't come out of the, out of the sea with worms hanging all over and big things. You know, ah, oh boy. And the chicken salad there is not really chickens. Now, I know something about chickens. And the chickens are pretty wild animals, let me tell you. Don't don't think for a minute that a, that a chicken doesn't know the other side of the coin. They'd yell and holler. Boy, I don't know whether you've ever spent much time next to a barnyard with the chickens running around and the old rooster yelling. And boy, I'll tell you. But that has no place in the kind of chicken salad they serve. The chicken salad tastes like the tuna salad. The tuna salad tastes like the macaroni salad. The macaroni salad tastes like egg salad. All tastes like And it's all skinny, little white bread, and no crust, nothing. And I'm sitting there. And I'm trying to pretend like I make this scene. I'm wearing my suit. You know, this is a big thing for me when I wear my suit. I have a suit that I put on once in a while. It's got hinges. And uh, I wear the suit. And I'm sitting there with a collar and all, you know, the whole bit on. And I'm wearing shoes, the whole thing. And I'm sitting and I'm looking very distinguished. I have my hair combed. And, and um, I have a certain way about my, myself when I do that. People e either think, because I've got this beard, and that, that, uh, that gives you a bad scene when you go in one of these places, because they either think you're a very distinguished ambassador whom they should be mad at, because obviously it's a country that's burning American libraries or something, or else you, uh, well, there's, uh, you're either a beatnik who's passing, uh, this they the suspect, and they hide their daughters. You know, I'll tell you, when you wear a beard, the first thing that happens when you come into a home is that about nine guys get up and start getting on the muscle. Because there's something about a guy who walks into a room with a beard that makes all the chicks suddenly do, I don't know what it is, it's a funny nuttiness that goes through them. Uh, either they hate it or they love it. And any good beard wearer, an experienced beard wearer, knows that a chick who hates beards hates a lot of other things. And uh, you learn this very quickly. It's kind of a litmus paper test. It's, it works real quick in the atmosphere. So I'm sitting there in this, in this nice little lady place, and I saw this scene. It was a wild scene. And I'm, I'm kind of in one of these booths. You know, these lady places have high booths because 
little ladies who go into these places and wear little doilies on the top of their heads and stuff. These ladies, they like this privacy and the sense of being encased in a booth. You know that, that uh, I, I once read a great psychological monogram on the number of people who refused to sit in the middle, in the middle of a room, in a restaurant. They will not do it. Uh, that that uh, people have a, have a drive, a desire to sit near the wall or in the corner, if possible. If, if they could work it under the rug in a restaurant. Uh, if, you know, uh, this is a real, a real thing, and it's a long psychological monograph, and so there has been several restaurants designed with that in mind. They have no middle tables out in the middle. All tables give you the illusion of being in the corner, behind the palms. And, uh, so I'm sitting in one of these booths, I'm just barely head high, and I'm looking in. I suddenly hear a voice that's familiar. It's a weird scene. And this voice comes, deep voice, very familiar. And I'm looking around, and I notice about a half a booth away from me, just right over my shoulder. I'm, practic I'm practically sitting in on the conversation. I don't like to do this, but there it was. And here is this familiar face with a familiar voice. And I'm looking at this voice, and I'm looking at this face, and I'm examining this. I said, where does I know this guy? I have known this guy ever since I'm a little kid. It's one of those tremendous moments of great recognition, realization. I know this jazz bow. I look at him. For crying out loud, yeah. And then, without without even a bit of warning, I see that the conversation is taking a weird turn. Sitting in the booth with him is this kid, this 18-year-old kid, I guess. It's his kid. And the kid is just giving him, boy, he is giving him H-E-L-L-O-Z-Boomo. He is really laying it out. And the kid is one of these real, these real aggressive prep school type kids who has absolute scorn for his old man, you know, that kind of thing. And the old man has been paving this kid's way through life. And, and now the kid, he's having lunch. I can see it's one of those scenes when he is having lunch with his kid. The kid has come down from this very exclusive prep school to give his old man, uh, to, to uh, give the little charity to the old man, to give him a half hour of his time, you know. And the kid is saying, and I don't care what you think, Dad, oh, boy. You just don't understand. That's your trouble. You just don't understand anything. You're just out of it. And the old man is sitting there, and he's sort of looking tired, and, and he's kind of looking like, oh, gee, please love me. And it's coming out of him, you know, just pouring out of him. Oh, please love me. Come on, kick me again. Go ahead. The kid says, and another thing, Dad. Oh, Dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, and another thing. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, wow. He's laying it out. And I'm, in, I'm, I'm the witness to this very embarrassing scene. And I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to be a witness to this scene because this is one scene I don't want to see, man. This guy, I, I notice, I look at his face. This guy has played a succession of the toughest, hardest-hitting, dynamic, rock-bound, old-line, pioneer, western settlers the screen has ever seen. He's a movie star that I have seen ever since I'm five. And he's always playing, you know, these big, square-jawed guys who gets up on that front seat of that old, that old Pony Express's here. Hey, hello, pass me up my shotgun. I'm riding, I'm riding left gun today. You know, a guy, I've seen him lay out the succession of tough, hard men with big black hats time after time. I saw him beat them crummy sheep ranchers. I saw him knock off 500, one time single-handedly in a bar. Let me tell you, single-handedly, this guy in a bar stood off John Wayne, Chuck Connors, and Burl Ives by himself. 
and busted up the bar to boot and ran the whole crowd out of town. And here's this kid giving him the business. And he's looking at what, what got me was not that the old, the old man should have just hit him in the mouth, you know. He says, all right, take this. Panty waist and bang, you know, right in the teeth. No, the man kept saying, well, oh, come on, Chucky, gee whiz, you know, have a little understanding. Gee whiz, Chucky, I just, gee, get. And I could hear just a trace of that great Western accent coming out of him. Gee whiz. Yep. I sat there and spit a little of my chew in the back on the floor. One of the great, one of the great left guns of all time. I saw I was losing out to the shraft world. Like all of us are bound to in the end anyway. I saw that here was this great man displaced in time and in history. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like seeing that great, that great experienced king, Lawrence Olivier. Well, let me tell you, Henry V would never have as much a king as Olivier. You know that. Hamlet was never half as much a prince as Olivier. It's kind of like seeing Lawrence Olivier being chewed out by a 19-year-old protester in front of the U.N. Tells him he don't know nothing about what the world's about. You can see that great old crown riding high there for a minute. And then slowly its colors dipping to the sunset, that big old MGM sunset in the sky. And all of us know is just over there in the next frame. Bring on the drums. Bring on them horns. Yeah. Dragging the dust up a blowing on behind him. Da 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 da. Hail and farewell, old left gun. Yeah. You want to hear more of that kind of stuff? <laughs> That's a true story. I, I could carry it even further. Uh, it, uh, it would be no point because the point is there. You know, speaking of true uh, sudden revelations, uh, terrible when you have these. You know, they, there's, a, there's an old Eastern phrase that has to do with sartori. It's like all of a sudden seeing it. And it, it lasts for about eight milliseconds. Most guys go through their whole lives and they never see it at all. They never have this moment. Uh, I'm, I'm walking through the supermarket the other day. I'm a great fan of supermarket labels. As you probably know, they, uh, they used to just say what was in the canyon, like beans, uh, or, uh, cornflakes. No longer anymore. You know, they, they've done away with all that stuff. You ever, ever walked along? There's nothing, nothing, nothing more exciting than to just walk along the cereal department. I mean, magic whoopies lying the shelves there. And uh, sure, they come in green, yellow, red. It's kind of like eating confetti in the morning. You know, but, uh, sure, you can get them all, all shapes, all sizes. There's, there's, there's kid shapes, you know, like little A, Bs, and Cs, and little little Gnomies, and LVs and one thing or another. Then you can get adult cereals that have all kinds of little Freudian symbols, one thing or another. The cereal's cut in that shape. All colors, whoopee, you know. Contain vitamins and all kinds of stuff, and 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 on, and on each one of these cereals, you know, that there's there's an athlete. He's kicking a football or he's throwing a baseball. Of course, that's going out now, because athletes are slowly being pushed out of the picture among the hipper kids. And now you see more and more. You see pictures of little skinny guys playing guitars, and their hair hanging down. It says Bobby eats them every morning. <laughs> 
<laughs> Seriously, you know. Joan Baez would not get up without the new magic, really bugged cereal. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kids don't like it. It's super G. So I'm, I'm walking along there and I'm seeing all this scene. And I, I come to, I come to one of my favorite departments, which is the peanut butter department. Now, um, of course, I, I've, 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 I've for years have mainlined peanut butter. It's, it's a bad scene. Once you get hooked on it, it's an awful situation. And, uh, I think they are, one day they will. I think there'll be laws. And they'll handle, uh, peanut butter like they handle pot. And, uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be illegal. It's, it's gotta be. You know, it's just one of those things, you know it. And I, I, I see this, I see this nutty jar. <laughs> it's this nutty jar. And, and it kind of exemplifies this, this new whole thing of no think, double think, new think, unthink, or whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's a, it's a George Orwellian world. And, and here is this jar. And the jar has got a fascinating shape. You know, when they used to, they used to have jars, uh, you know, one of the big new, uh, psychological areas of work now that's going, it's just tremendous. It's going further and further. And most people are not totally aware of this. And that is the design of packages. Now, I'm not talking about the, the color. I'm not talking about the label. I'm talking about the shape of the jar. They're doing some pretty interesting stuff in this department. And, uh, why, well, I'll tell you, it's Freudian as all get out. They, they really are, they're really going all out. You, you wonder why all of a sudden that the, that the naphtha that you've been seeing for years, you never looked at it before, you know. You just, this naphtha, it's down there on the floor, it's an old gallon jug and a little dust on it, it's a naphtha. All of a sudden you find yourself really, uh, looking at a jar of na a big jug of naphtha, and it comes in this new wild plastic looking thing, see. And you're fascinated by it, and you think, you know, I ought to take some of that home. <laughs> you're got no use for that, but somehow this, this, it's a whole, it's a whole new concept, a whole new package. And, and they're even, yeah, I'm not kidding. And they're even experimenting with, with aromas and flavors, one thing or another, that have nothing to do with the food, you see. So when you walk into different departments, they have different kinds of music playing. And, uh, it's, it's a total set. It's a stage. You can see Jeannie Rosenthal lights the frozen food counter at D'Agostino's. And uh, to give, you know, after all, frozen food has a certain macabre, uh, almost a morgue-like quality about it. And that's not so good. And all that white, and, and, you know, the frozen fish looks like a frozen fish when you look at it. And if it could be lit with kind of a little soft amber off, it would have a sort of pleasant, put little flowers around it. Give a little mortuary quality to it, to the frozen food. The... <laughs> Terrible person. Now, if, if, if on the other hand... Uh, they, they, and they, oh, you know that they are spraying into various departments of stores now different kinds of scents that excite you to interest in what is going on there. For example, now if you are you interested in examples, do you know that in 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 men's clothing stores, men's clothing departments now, uh, they have various kinds of scent which are put out through the heating system and the air conditioning system. Such things as, for example, the smell of leather. And they, they just they, they just sort of send it out. Or the smell of tobacco. Have you ever opened a, a new bag of, uh, uh, not, not cigarette tobacco, a new bag of, of pipe tobacco? Well, it's a, it's a great smell, you know. That's why if, uh, there's been an old, old uh, saying that if, if pipe tobacco ever tasted the way pipe tobacco smelled, uh, man, I'll tell you, people would be for, you know, that would be it. I mean, that would be the end of it. 
It's, it's very close to paradisical, that odor. And so they're spraying the smell of pipe, not, not smoke, but pipe tobacco just drifts in and out. And you find yourself all of a sudden looking at this crummy coat and, and liking it. It's a terrible thing. And you wind up out in the cold light of day, you know, where it smells like day. It smells like outside. You know, where all the dogs have been walking around and you can smell, <laughs> you know, how it smells. And, and suddenly, this coat looks, you know, just like a crummy old rotten coat. And you wonder, why the devil? What, what happened to me? Why do I buy this thing? Well, they're doing, they're doing this whole thing. It's, a, it's all psychological motivation and one thing. That, nothing to do with the ads. Have you noticed that almost all the ads show very tall, extremely thin people? This is part of that, that uh, everybody, he sees this coat and he sees himself in it as this guy in this ad. The chick is a tall, thin guy. And I even, it, it gets to the point where it's, where it's totally ridiculous. There is a, a store that advertises itself for what they call outsized sizes. That means fat people. And underneath it, it says sizes from 75 to 116 coach. You know, this is roughly the size of Madison Square Garden. And uh, they have suits that are that are uh, have such uh, things as uh, a 74-inch waist and 23-inch inseam. You know, this, this guy is shaped like a flying saucer. And uh, <laughs> kind of. And yet, here are the pictures. It's, it shows the pictures. The pictures are all of guys who are six feet two, have a have a 27-inch waist. You know, magnificent-looking people. And underneath it, it says, yes, we have the sizes for the stylish stout. And, of course, their idea of the stylish stout is uh, Anthony Perkins. And then he's standing there looking. And, and the implication being that if you buy this kind of suit, you will be this. And so this is all, of course, that's an old story, the, 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 the pictures. But I'm looking at these bottles. Now, there's a new kind of bottle coming out, friends. Uh, they're not all entirely Freudian. And so, well, they are, I suppose you can call it that way. They, let's put it this way. They're Freudian in the, in the Oedipal sense, as opposed to the, uh, the phallic sense. It's a different thing entirely. It's a whole new, new scene. We can get into this. Here is this jar, believe it or not, and the jar looks like a, a matron. It's a matron-looking jar. It has a shape like a kindly um, middle-aged Gertrude Berg. And the jar is, you know, yeah, you can see it. It's it's, it's kind of wearing a, a house coat. And uh, the jar is looking at me, and the jar has peanuts in it, see? And they're called dry toasted peanuts. Well, I'm looking at this jar, and I look at it almost, and there's a funny look. The guy looks out at me. There's a little picture of a man. He looks out at me, and he's got a strange look. And its label simply says, Franklin, original dry roasted peanuts. With, and in red letters, it underlined, it says, with flavor jackets. I says, flavor jackets? What the heck are flavor jackets on the peanuts? And I look very closely, and I see that, that flavor jackets are uh, peanut skins. Those are now called flavor jackets. You know, the old peanut skins that get stuck in your teeth for 18 weeks after you had a handful of peanuts. You get the thing in your teeth there, see? And uh, you know, those are now called flavor jackets, friends. And uh, they're good, you see. It used to be that you wanted to get rid of those skins. Well, now, since they've become flavor jackets, this is obviously a, a step forward in peanuttery. Well, now, now that isn't the end of the scene. See, I'm looking at the flavor jackets of Franklin. Ben Franklin is looking out at me. Old Ben, poor Richard. And he's looking. I wonder what he would have thought of flavor jackets on these peanuts, see, dried, sealed, uh, unsalted flavor jackets 
and he's looking out up, and I look very closely at this, and I have never seen this picture of Ben Franklin. Now, do you know anything about Ben's uh, private life? Any of you out there, I don't want to tell you that Ben had a pretty racy private life. He's one of the great founders of our country. And one of the things I like about old Ben was not only was he a founder of the country, and he walked around and saved pennies and stuff, but boy, oh boy, I'll tell you, this was the original Playboy reader. As a matter of fact, he was really an original Playboy writer. Ben, you know, wrote a lot of letters to his, you know, <laughs> letters of advice or so on, thing, another. And Ben is looking out at me, and you never saw such a, such a, a kind of a smirk. It really wasn't a smirk. It was Ben looking out at me saying, oh, yeah? Oh, boy, you know, pigs, you know what? And I said, gee whiz, oh, Ben, over all these ages. And here he is, he's looking out from the top of a plastic matron-shaped jar, and he's selling peanuts with the new uh, flavor, uh, little flavor jackets on there. And I thought about Ben. You know, Ben had a couple of kids that, uh, well, they were unofficial children. And he knew a lot of ladies on an unofficial basis, too. And uh, Ben had been around. Ben had seen a lot of things. And I, and I kind of understood why they put Ben Franklin's uh, picture on the label there. Ben looked out at me for a minute. I looked at old Ben, and I continued on to the frozen food section, kind of walking along there, see. And uh, I, but somehow I, I felt a little better about our country. You know, really. I mean, we were founded by guys like Ben Franklin, not Cotton Mather. Believe me, no matter how many Cotton Mather fans there are around, it was Ben that laid it down. And it was Ben who knew what he was doing. I understand, too, that George, you know, old George Washington, he, he wasn't exactly... Uh, he may not have told a lie in his time, but uh, he was not adverse to telling a racy story or two. And, in fact, taking part in a few racy stories himself. Which kind of made me feel a little good when I found out about it. You know, he's, uh, he did more than go around and wear wooden false teeth. I can tell you that. And say things about, uh, give me... No, he was uh, the other one. The other one said me, give me... That was Patrick Henry. You know, I can tell you a little story or two about old Pat. You know, he, so, we were not necessarily founded by a bunch of statues, friends. No, sir, who wore stone wigs. Oh, no. And uh, for that reason, there is a great uh, undercurrent that runs through all of American life, a kind of an undercurrent of, uh, let's put it this way, uh, underground whoopieism. It's still there. And uh, a lot of little old ladies of any sex you care to name uh, are constantly railing against it. But still, Ben's eye looks out benignly over that crowd of ladies coming into the supermarket, and I suspect that he's not exactly looking at the shopping bags. Ben has a look of a man who knows a maiden form when he sees it, and he is enjoying it all the way.